All right, Frank, here we go. It is that time of the year as we approach episode 250 next week. It is time for what do we really want to see this year at WWDC 2021? That was lovely. I hope Apple records that and plays it back. You know, every year we get the like the the video for developers at the beginning of Dub Dub, and every year I like brace myself for how bad it's going to be. But I, I I would take yours. You should take mine. It's pretty great. I just like sent you a link to the blog post, and then it what is it doing? It's putting an AHTML thing. What is Zencaster doing? God. Well, James, it's it's twenty twenty one. It's really hard to figure out encodings. <sighs> we haven't mastered no. all the internet yet. I'm sorry. So June 7th, it is right around the corner, weeks before my birthday. Uh, it's going to be a, what is this, a five-day event? This is too many days. But it's going to feature iOS, iPadOS, macOS, watchOS, and tvOS, five OSs. Do you know we have five OSs to develop for, Frank? Sure, sure, sure. Let's count watchOS and tvOS. I, If any of you out there have watchOS apps, God bless your souls. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, how are they doing that? June 7th through 11th. So 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. All online, obviously. Um, boy, I'm not going to get anything done that week. I don't know. I, I think we talk about this a lot, but when it comes to watching videos and everything, I kind of have to watch in real time because I'm really bad at getting back to watching videos. So that's going to be a long week. Yeah, I agree. It is one thing that you want to sort of sit there. You want to pull it all in and 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 try to take time for yourself. It's the same thing around Build and around Google I.O. I have to watch the live streams for the keynotes. I set, I set it on my calendar just to block time off from from work because it is important to me to know on the know. And I love watching the developer, you know, the Google IO and the Apple and the, and the build, they're all very similar. There's a keynote and then there's like deep dives afterwards. And you want to get both of them because the developer deep dives are all super duper important. And I am very, very excited for all three conferences this year. They're all going to be online, which means I don't have to pay for anything. And yeah, no, I said five operating systems. That's only five ap operating from Apple. We still have right. all of Windows. We have all of the Google products. You know, there's a lot to be said for what can be developed on, you know, and from Windows, I'm talking about even stuff that you could technically put on an Xbox or a HoloLens or um, a series of different devices too. a duo, which is obviously Android, but spiced up. Right. Um, so there's there's a lot happening in the world of Apple of developer conferences, and they all seem to come around May and June. So it's like, hey, the summer's here, you know, and you want to go outside. But guess what? Now you got to be inside. <laughs> you got to be inside this year. I was really sad you didn't get Zune into that list. I was waiting for it. I was going to interject it, but I was like, you know what? Too soon. Too soon. Well, no well, Zune jokes here. Well, what is, you know, let, let's remix this episode a little bit in real time here. What has been one of your favorite devices ever to develop for that is no longer around? Oh, wow. N no longer around. That's a toughie because or honestly, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's the mini then. It's the iPad mini. <laughs> is that supported? Is it around? I think it is for sale. I think you can buy one, but it doesn't get nearly as much love from Apple's. I think it deserves for that um, size class of a device. I think everyone fell in love with the mini 
uh, myself included. And it just does, it does not get the love at all. <laughs> the i the iPad mini? Yeah. Oh, interesting. You know what I was going to What other go minis with? are there? I was going to go with the iPod mini. Oh, good call. Not the Nano, the mini. Okay, yeah. Uh, that was a pretty classic device. I thought that only had like two years in the sun or something like that. Well, you know, I, I do I do believe that one of the greatest leaps and bounds, sort of the introductory into the mobile space was not only the Zune, but also the iPod mini and like the MP3 devices of that category. Because to me, there was this generation of flip phones that had their own app stores in quotes, and they had yeah. apps on them. And then there was this transition piece where the iPod and other MP3 players started to evolve into full baked operating systems. And they started to do a lot more. And that's where, to me, it sparked a lot of my interest to becoming a, a mobile app developer. Uh, and I'll even take exception to the full baked operating system thing. Uh, so two phones, when you asked me that question, I, I, my brain immediately jumped to my two previous smartphones, which were an old Windows phone long before the one you're thinking of, and um, a BlackBerry. I absolutely do not want to do the BlackBerry development because that was a weird Java environment, and I tried once, and I didn't like it, and so I didn't want to do that. I did, in fact, enjoy the Windows Mobile dev experience, though, because at that point, they had C-sharp working on it. Uh, they had a start button. I, you were basically <laughs> writing a WinForms app somehow, magically, and running it on some weird version of Windows CE or something like that, and it worked. The funny thing is, though, I just never really wrote that interesting of apps on it. Part of it was it didn't have a good graphics system or anything like that. So that that held it back a lot. But if you're writing enterprise apps, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that love that old OS. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. And my, my mom, uh, she used to use Windows Mobile, whatever the six or whatever it was, you know. Yeah, that um, one. <laughs> and she had like, it was like a very like a Palm PDA, you know, I had a, I had a palm, you know, palm, palm pad or whatever it was called, you know, PDA that was, that was on there. And that was one of the coolest little devices I thought ever, you know, it's like in the future, I was like, had a calendar and I could write notes and it was everything I ever wanted to be. The, the device that I think is really neat that I'm sure we're going to be able to, you know, we can already code for something similar, but I'll tell you this because it's, it's, it's technology that exists. We've, we've talked a lot mm -hmm. about this and maybe Apple's going to introduce a dub dub. But to me, I thought that Google Glass was a really fascinating platform to develop for. And I'm really sad that it kind of went away because as a pretty diehard Android developer, you got to remember, like I started my career in mobile app development on Windows Phone, and then I became an Android, but I was always an Android user up until last year, right? When I got my SE2 mm -hmm. and I've always been an Android user. And I always loved developing for Android. I just thought it was like this is absolutely beautiful disaster of, of an operating system that really challenged you. Uh, it was like, a, I guess, I don't, I don't know if that's good. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know where you're going with this, buddy. It's an operating system that challenged you. Try, how dare, how dare you try to develop on me? Um, it, it really it really was. How dare you? You will never make an application, sir. Um, so... <laughs> So the, the cool part about Google Glass was that if you knew Android development, you could basically, you know, write a Google Glass application. It, it was not 
completely separate, but the layout system, a lot of that stuff was very, very similar compared to, um, you know, a lot of different form factors. If you're making something for like Oculus or for something, you're going to have to like, I'm going to learn unity or something like that. But it's like, Oh, I know Android. It's like, imagine when, whatever Apple puts UI kit on, you know, on Apple glasses, like that's going to be mind boggling, amazing. And they're going to have like some Z layer and it's gonna be like, Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> they have seen kits. So it's going to work. But to me, that was really neat because it was also very limited in the scope of what you could do. And, and this reminded me in back to early days, we've talked about it because, you know, we've been mobile app developers for, for a long, a long time. And we talk about the glory days when there was one operating system to develop okay. for and for every, you know, you know, for every, um, major platform. And, uh, for me, it was, it was really neat because you, if you knew the Android layout system, you could build for this and you were constrained to a specific widget kit. And that to me was really neat and futuristic. And to me, it was so long ago. Now I remember Chris Hardy being really, really into, into as he would wear it or he wore it around for like ever him and Miguel remember for, uh, Miguel Balding. Uh, and to me, that was, that was really fascinating as far as in my lifetime of a device that I thought was really unique and challenged to be different, uh, got a lot of hate, you know, on it, but, uh, I think that we're going to see a, a renaissance of, of even more AR and, and VR type of experiences in the next few years. <laughs> and, uh, I think I should point out that I think one of the reasons this is on your mind is because the Apple dub dub announcement has someone wearing glasses looking at a computer with a lot of things reflected on the glasses. They don't look like AR glasses, but we all hope they're AR glasses and they probably won't be, but we all hope. Uh, I, I think it's my fault that Google Glasses failed. I kind of made fun of Chris for wearing his all the time. And it's because of people like me that it didn't continue. See, this is what I thought. I thought Google was big and powerful and they weren't going to care that we all made fun of it because it was very interesting technology. And I'm not, um, I really think this has great applications in industrial environments. Pretty much any job <laughs> can probably benefit from this kind of thing. And so I'm excited to see this technology develop. And like you, I'm pretty sad, actually, that the Google Glass went away. Uh, there are replacements. It's funny how Android just gets around so much. You can go buy glasses right now that have little micro projectors on them. Mm -hmm. And they're running a funny version of Android. And there may or may not be a cable that goes down the back of your spine and plugs into your brain. But, you know, whatever. Your brain is going to have to run Android 5.0 at least. So upgrade. Um, I don't mind the widgets, the limited widget sets. I think that gets tiring quickly. I, I started this episode by making fun of watchOS a little bit. And part of that was because for the first one, two, three versions of it, they gave us a really limited widget set. They didn't trust app developers to write performant apps, so they created an API where <laughs> we were all running slow. <laughs> no one could run fast. That's that's how you get them. Uh, so I'm not looking forward to returning to that. I'm hoping Apple learned some lessons from that. But given the quality of AR Kit and Scene Kit and all that stuff, if, when, however, they get into AR or VR, it'll be pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, there's there's a very there's a lot of segments to this, and I obviously listened to a lot of Tech Meme Ride Home, and you know, he's been really talking over the last year or two years about this space. It's a space in which 
people talk about, but don't maybe give it enough credit for the amount of usage there is, like you were talking about in industrial, automotive, education. We've talked a lot about on this podcast. And um, I, I think it's a space that I've always been very, very fascinated in. The problem that I have as a developer is that I'm very much in a 2D space. Uh, I'm, yeah. I have a hard time in entering a 3D space. You do you do a great job, right? iCircuit 3D, a lot of your other applications that I've seen you demo that you maybe not have shipped, but there's a lot of 3D goodness in there and you have a really firm grasp on the Z-axis of, of placing a camera. And I've always had a really hard time of adjusting my brain in the coding space because it's another level to mathematics that, that I, I think are involved yeah. in the matrix C's. And to me, that is a hard part for me to get over. So I've always enjoyed the 2D aspect of uh, mobile development and desktop development. And I think that's why Google Glass really interested me because it was a, a 2D overlay. And if Apple is, you know, putting that AR spectrum right because google glass was unique it wasn't really it wasn't augmented reality really it wasn't overlaying on top of the world it's like on your eyeball you know what i mean it's just it's there but it's not there's not like a depth to it i would say it's just like a heads-up display that's what i you know that's really what it was and to me that was fascinating because it could take my my love for 2d and bring it into um another platform for me to develop for and that's sort of why i never got into vr or mixed realities. I just can't, for some reason, my mind doesn't work that way, Frank. I don't know what the problem is. Uh, for good reason. <laughs> the technology just isn't there. It's just not, period, full stop. People who tolerate AR right now tolerate it. Hmm. And honestly, I think people are tolerating VR also. Uh, there is latency involved in all this stuff. Even with Apple's best work with depth sensors things are definitely improving but we're not getting to that black mirror level yet where you put your glasses on and all of a sudden all the apartment buildings become billboards we're not there yet probably not even in our lifetimes we'll see but hopefully not in our lifetimes and so i think we will definitely have heads up devices where you have that weird <laughs> infinite plane have you ever had a car an auto where you had a heads-up display did you like those oh i have i i don't own a car that does this but i have been in a rental that did that and i thought that it was it was neat because it put the information into your line of sight closer to your line of sight you know uh often what I saw for the heads up display was, was I think it was only the speed. Like it was just, here's your speed. Yeah. And to me, it took a long time to get used to because you're so used to looking down. But then when you think about it, you're like, why am I literally taking my eyes <laughs> off of the road to see yeah. how fast I'm going? This, this has not made any sense for the last 100 years. I 100% agree. My whole life I've been saying, make them bigger, make them everywhere, cover the whole windshield in these heads-up displays. I There are arguments to be said for distraction and all that, and I think most modern cars that have them have that very uh, anemic <laughs> display that you guess or that you were describing with just the speed, but cars back in the day, I'm thinking of old cars we used to have back at GM, had very elaborate heads-up displays. And you can still get them aftermarket and things mm. like that. 
but um it's it's kind of like the the 80s thinking of the 2010s you know i'm an 80s kid so that's that's the technology i want so when apple glass comes out i will be 100 million percent happy with 1980s and 90s heads up display technology for that but um as you say i do also love 3d user interfaces and i'm always looking for opportunities to take advantage of that james i swear i i have an idea for doing a back end of maui with a 3d rendering engine i think it's gonna be amazing do it i'm in i'm telling you and that's that's one thing that i've always wanted more of out of um i guess the world of of mobile with with xamarin or with other things is i've always felt like the options to do cross-platform 3d because i live in a cross-platform world I, I don't a lot of i've been doing like a lot of youtube videos on you know xamarin 101 and other stuff and people are like oh you just can you just do more you know native ios and android stuff and i'm like i don't live in that world i just haven't done it i'm just <laughs> not in it so when i have to drop down to scene kit it's like i'm never gonna do this right but i need the cross-platform scene kit you know and and, and i would learn it more heavily and and it you know i not that I couldn't, I, you know, I do drop down to iOS and Android if I need to, but I try not to. And I just, I, it's just not the world I've been in or the, it hasn't, you know, everything that I've needed has been cross-platform. But that being said, if I could evolve that into something that's built into the toolkit or in a community toolkit or into some sort of library, like this would be great. I know there's, there's things out there like Wave Engine and there's like a lot of game engines. I think that's the thing, but I'm like, oh, how do I just put a really beautiful 3D, you know, X, Y, Z thing into this. Uh, and I was doing a demo for Blazor. Uh, Dan Roth made this demo with another community member with Steve Sanderson and lots of ding, ding, dings in there. But uh, they did this demo. It was like a car. It was like a car um, inspection company or whatever. Right? And they were using the Blazor mobile binding. So it was like a Blazor app, also a Xamarin app. And it was a Blazor web view. But what was cool about this at .NET Conf, and what was cool about it was they use like 3D.js or something like JS library, and they're like, here's a 3D model. It just like shows up, and you're like, and it has like touch interaction, like all this stuff. I'm like, how does this even work? And like, that to me is also really cool because it was pretty performant to have like a JavaScript web view rendering something. I was like, you know what? This, this whole JavaScript ecosystem, I'm not going to be terribly mad at if I can access a bunch of this stuff, but I would still like to have native 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 stuff where it's doing scene kit under the hood now that would be pretty awesome yeah you you want um buttons and text boxes you don't want 3d matrix multiplied by normal array like no one wants that i don't want that it's why all the big engines out there make so much money and all that stuff uh we've tried to do cross-platform it's just hard it turns out 3d engines are hard but uh, there are new rendering techniques being used a lot. Um, the one I think about a lot is path tracing, which is like a ray tracing technique that just happens to run pretty well on modern GPUs. And I think that if one were, I think the mistake people make is when they try to do these cross-platform libraries, they keep trying to create the library from 20 years ago cross-platform. The library from 20 years ago wasn't cross-platform because hardware wasn't advanced. And so by necessity, the API was tied to the hardware. And therefore, the API is not very good. And then you're trying to make that hardware-tied API match to um, cross-platform. That's just difficult. If instead, 
James, you throw away the past. <laughs> Ignore the past and say, well, if I were to write a new modern 3D engine today, how would I do it? And you would do it in a very clean way using pixel shaders, which basically no one writes 3D APIs anymore for general purpose computers. What they do is give you a shader language and say, good luck. Here's how you feed it triangles, and here's a shader language. Have funsies. And so it's funny that the opportunity to create cross-platform libraries has actually increased because we're doing all our programming on the GPU now, and that is vaguely, mildly, somewhat <laughs> cross-platform by a stretch. <laughs> yeah, th that's a good point is, is the modern-day version of these, of these libraries and evolving. And to be honest with you, I... In the last week, I've done a show, uh, a few live streams, been as guests talking about Don and Maui. I've done the latest Samurai podcast talking about Don and Maui. And one of the big, big things I'm really, really excited for with it is that it is new. I mean, it's new. It's, it's, there's a lot of remnants and, and things that are coming from Xamarin Forms, but like the under the hood architecture and how things are evolving, it, it sort of has this very modern spin on what it means to create cross-platform applications with .NET. And because they're like, oh, guess what? Mobile application has changed in the last seven years. So we need to have a window system, you know, like a windowing system, which <laughs> you didn't need to have seven years ago, but guess what? Now you do. So uh, that to me is really, really exciting that, that, that there's these, hey, let's like wipe clean, like let's bring you forward, but let's also wipe clean all these things from the, the the past and and make something modern and fresh that you're really going to create delightful things for the next seven years. And that sort of seems what you're talking about with what a modern cross-platform, you know, 3D you know, layer would, would be. You'd have this advantage that you could say, well, 10 years ago, I would have created it this way, but now I'm going to create it this way. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't, I don't know why I keep obsessing over pixel shaders, but I think about them a lot because I, I had such a good experience writing um, iCircuit 3D. I was able to do like graphical and animation techniques that were honestly very simple, but I just couldn't do them before because I used UIKit and I used WinForms. <laughs> And they were invented long before pixel shaders were a thing, and you know they just weren't included. So I, I guess this is all a very long way of saying is I'm excited for the future, and I I, I kind of want to throw out all my UIs and <laughs> rewrite them all, but obviously we can't. We have to do things incrementally. But yeah, the times definitely change, and I want to make sure that not just that I'm keeping up with them, but I'm taking advantage of the fact and that I'm enjoying it myself. Uh, Maui is incredible. I finally got a little bit of a, a little cheat sheet from Clancy, another ding. And he gave me an overview of how the architecture of it works. And it's really interesting because they've managed to do pluggable front ends, meaning like, how do you want to write your app? Do you want to write it in XAML or do you want to do code first? And they have pluggable back ends, meaning what platform are you running on? And that opens up a very large matrix of possibilities, speaking of matrices. And that's why I started thinking, like, if I were to write a crazy new 3D user interface library, I still have to pick an API for buttons. I still have to come up with, like, a XAML-ish kind of, like, UI builder or something. 
but I'm a, but I won't have to do that if I use a technology like Maui. Or honestly, I probably could have maybe pulled it off with Xamarin Forms, but Maui's going to make it so much cleaner. And uh, so maybe I'll be able to get you to write a fancy 3D UI. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point because one thing that I that have been made very clear to me in these conversations and as things evolve is how they change the architecture under the hood, which is there's no longer anything called a renderer. Everything is a handler. So everything is an interface first. So there's an I button and you can just implement I button and then everybody can have a normal button, (laughs) you know, you know, and, and it's, it's, everything is a handler implementation and the code to implement said handlers is extremely minimal um, for, for the new architecture that removes a lot of layers. So I think that's really, really, really cool. Um, from what I've seen, I need to actually get in and pull down the source code and, you know, run through it and things like that. And again, the other advantage they have is, you know, when you not throw away the past, but when you evolve past the past in a way, (laughs) as you, as you should have a conference (laughs) called evolve something past the past, past it. (laughs) You evolve past the past and you pass the past. And you, when you do this, the nice part is where are we at in time for this release? And this release is everything's based on Donut 6. Everything will be based on C Sharp 10. So guess what? You as a developer get to use all of like all of the nice things, you know, that are in there. There's no, there's again, if you're building a 3d engine 10 years ago compared to what you're building now you have so many new apis and so many lectures and so many better coding things that you have access to it is delightful so that is why if apple create if apple creates way to bring it around yeah, I know, I'm, I'm trying hard i'm trying hard. <laughs> creates ar glasses then imagine the type of ar glasses kit that they could create from brand new scratch and all the new tech under the hood that they have that could be pretty neato i'm trying to do it you should uh watch my stream i've been getting that true depth camera i really think that that's what's gonna crack augmented reality because i was talking about earlier like there's just that latency and we've all felt it whenever you used an ar app you move the phone and then everything drifts you can't have that in front of your face you're gonna get sick like everyone's gonna just start (laughs) being sick (laughs) whenever they would use this thing so i'm thinking that um Apple's investments and all that depth technology will be coming with that. I don't think, I think they've done a pretty good job designing their APIs. I feel like they've made all the right investments and everything. So I don't see too much changing there for the hypothetical AR future. But uh, most definitely, uh, things are so different than they were 10 years ago. I don't know. Do, Do you think we'll actually get a, do you think we'll get a heads up display or a 3D display if they did it? I hope that it's a heads up display because it would be the, like one of the only ones in the consumer market. Just, yeah, just start there. They can't put a camera on it. Cause that's what killed Google. Glass. Oh, you think so? That's so problem. like does depth that counts as a camera probably then doesn't it depth? Uh, you know, because you can't record uh, I guess you could record. Well, sure depth. you can. <laughs> I wrote the app on Twitch the other day. <laughs> they would have to lock it down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Apple, they love that little tiny green dot um, to be displayed wherever it's recording. So 
I, it could have a, I think it could have a depth sensor because that's not as scary as when you, w- yeah, I mean, I guess if you just have the depth sensor, then it's not going to give you full, it's not going to be like a camera or is it a camera? How does it work? I don't know how, what, how's the internet? I work? mean, it, it just depends on your imagination. <laughs> Can you fill in the colors? Yeah. Yeah. It's- uh, I, I would say um, they probably would lock it down like you're saying. And they don't always turn on the green light. I was just thinking like the iPad doesn't turn on its green light. But, uh, you know, I kind of assumed it would have a camera. But now that you said those words, I believe you're right. They wouldn't even they wouldn't try for the first version. I don't think so. I don't think so. But it it's it's also a weird space. And because not everyone wears glasses, right? I don't wear glasses. And um, I don't know if I would wear just fake glasses for it. You know, well, you know, I don't know. Especially with masks, you, you don't wear glasses, so you haven't been experiencing this, but I can never see anything. It's always just fog, just fog. Oh, <laughs> That's yeah. all I can see. <laughs> when I wear uh, sunglasses, same problem. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. So maybe a bad time to release glasses. Maybe maybe WWDC twenty one will be five days of just student swift contests. Possible. Maybe we don't get anything new. I'm also not. I'm, are we mad <laughs> if we don't get anything new? If we just get like normal iOS fifteen, TVOS twenty thousand. You know what I mean? Are we mad at that at all? Uh, look, I I've just finished two years of work on a really large app. <laughs> All I want in this world is stability. <laughs> so I am really quite okay with us taking 2021 off. I want to be a technologist. I still am a technologist. I am enthusiastic for technology, James. But I have no problem <laughs> yeah. with this being a nice calm year. I'm, I'm curious if they, they make more changes just to go all in on swift ui and obviously all in on swift which they kind of already are at this point that they bring they 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 really are like this is the this is the only way like they maybe they just remove no no. do you think storyboards are going away no (laughs) no um all their new apis are still written in objective c like as of the last set of apis so that that much is a pretty large indication that it's not being replaced nearly at that scale definitely the focus is there but mm. i mean just look at the samples apple produces they're not all in swift ui that's true actually very few of them are so if they do it's not for many many more years so we got time we got time people well there you go this has totally been a podcast on Stuff? That, this is a podcast that is a beautiful disaster because it was quite beautiful and also kind of a disaster. Well, I think we just don't know anything, but we still like to predict. And that's all it is. We, we you, you have me see you got my hopes up. I, I had no expectations. And now I'm going to be like, hmm, I wonder what they will have in the AR glasses that they totally <laughs> won't release. <laughs> that's true that's true well let us know what you think your wwdc predictions are or google io or microsoft build uh you can leave us comments you can go on to mergeconflict.fm you can hit that contact button and you know we're coming up on 150 so if you want to leave us a uh feedback or you want to do a little voice recording that'd be kind of cool too we could you could we could put those in for 250 i don't know if 250 is momentous but that is a quarter of a what's a thousand millennium 
millennia quarter of a millennia that's a lot of podcast episodes frank that's too many (laughs) i kind of love that wow i yeah okay now we're making it to a thousand though just fyi everyone strap in now that i see that number ahead (laughs) so that is 250 divided by 52 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's like five years we've been podcasting for five years yeah, so 50 a year. I have to be So we need to do you. 750 more, 30 more years. Oh, I no, did that wrong. 15 more years. <laughs> Frank, math. You got this, you got this, Frank. So 50, could you, could you imagine? I would be, oh my gosh, I would be 50. I believe it. I think that's exactly when you're going to quit the show. When you, on your 50th birthday, you're like, I'm out. Episode 1000. You made it to 999 and I'm out. <laughs> oh man, that'd be rude. Ah, uh, okay. Well, anyways, thanks everyone for for hanging out on this beautiful disaster, and please give us feedback. And also a big shout out to all of our Patreon subscribers who are getting exclusive content, like me eating dinner. This I did more than Lovely. that, but uh, <laughs> exclusive. Um, and all of our podcasts as soon as I finish editing them. Sometimes that is minutes before I push on this one, or sometimes it is seven days. So who knows? But anyways, thanks everyone for tuning in, and that's gonna do it for this week's merch conflict. So until next time. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.